Back in March, we unveiled this prayer wall. And the concept of it was pretty simple. Uh, take a piece of paper, write a prayer on it, and put it in the wall. Not really all that complicated. A prayer, if you think about it, it really is an abstract kind of thing. Uh, most of the time when we pray, it's something we do in our heads. And yet our faith should be more concrete. You know, God wants us, uh, what we believe, to impact what we do. And so the prayer wall, with the prayer wall, we are able to do something when we pray, even if it's something as simple as writing and placing a piece of paper in the wall. Um, since March, again, we unveiled this in March, since March, uh, over 2,800 prayers were put in the wall. And we cannot overstate the faith impact that that, that that has made on us. That over 2,800 times, people from this faith community took the step, the active concrete step, to put a prayer in the wall. And that's, again, that's a really big deal. And today is an important day for us because we're going to take another concrete step. We're going to do something with these prayers. We are going uh, to burn them. Uh, we're not going to burn them in here. We're going to burn them outside. It'll be okay. Um, but we're going to do that later in the service, and that's going to be a really meaningful moment for us. Uh, earlier this week, the elders actually removed the prayers from the wall, and that's something that we wanted you to see. And so we videoed it as they did that, and we just want to have you see them doing that. Go ahead and play the video. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation, it's the last book in the Bible, so if you're not familiar with that book, just turn to the back of your Bible and you'll be real close. Uh, we'll be at Revelation 8, verses 1 to 4. Uh, this container uh, that is right in front of John and I, it holds prayers that were removed from the wall. And in Revelation 8, it talks about the prayers of the saints, prayers like the ones uh, in this container. Revelation, it's a book of vivid imagery, and so as I read this passage, uh, I just want to encourage you to maybe picture 
what all this might have looked like. If it helps to close your eyes, uh, that's great. Um, but we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're not going to read Scripture from the center of the room. We're going to have you stay uh, seated for our Scripture reading again. I just want you to try to envision what this scene might have looked like from Revelation 8, verses 1 to 4. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. And the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Revelation, again, it's a book of imagery. And I just want to take a few moments to unpack and point out some of the pictures from these four verses. Uh, it says that there are seven angels who stand before God, and I don't know exactly what that picture looks like uh, for you, but it could be something like this picture here. Um, but if you look in your Bibles to verse 2, the passage doesn't say seven angels who stand before God. It says the seven angels who stand before God. It's referring to seven specific angels. In Jewish writings, there were seven angels who presented prayers of the saints and entered into the glory of God. And in these Jewish writings, the seven angels are actually named. Uh, two of them, many of you are probably familiar with, Michael and Gabriel. Uh, but the other five are named Uriel, Raphael, Raguel, Serakel, and Remiel. Sounds like the Ninja Turtles. There yeah. are some Ninja Turtle names in there. That is very true. That's a good catch, John. I wonder where those names came from. Um, so, and, and this is also where we get the source of the idea of seven archangels, or a whole idea of archangels. And while it's tempting to kind of go off on a rabbit's trail and talk about angels and archangels, the important point here is that the image of Revelation 8 is the seven these seven angels are here, and they have trumpets in their hands. Something important is going to happen. That's what's being set up in this scene. Angels and trumpets, it's going to be big, it's going to be loud. But big and loud isn't what happens. This is a solemn, holy moment. It's a moment for the prayers of the saints. You know, another picture of this moment could look something like this, this picture. You see, the passage in verse 1, it begins with silence in heaven. The praise of the angels have given way to the prayers of the saints. And the, and the seven angels are here for this moment. It's a big deal. But yet the focus isn't on the seven. The focus is on one angel who has a golden censer and approaches the golden altar. Gold, representing the value of what the angel is handling. And what is the valuable thing that the angel holds? It's the prayers of the saints. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, leave the hand of the angel, they go up before God. It's all about the prayers of the saints, like the prayers in this container. 
Now, um, in our passage, if you have your Bible, I would open up to Revelation 8 and take a look, um, starting at verse 3 here. But there's a trajectory to our prayers, which is really interesting. Um, our prayers actually don't just stay here, they, they actually go somewhere. And so if you look at verse 3, I want to read this for you a second. It says, um, another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God. That's an interesting line. The prayers actually went up before God. Now, if you think about this, um, you know, like just an initial reading of this passage, you'd think, okay, so the prayers are going up. My image is the prayers are going up into the sky, into the clouds, into space, into somewhere like God's up there or something in this picture, right? But it's, it's actually more than that that's going on in this passage. You see, our prayers going up to the Lord is not so much a description of a direction, but a statement about status, if that makes sense. In the Bible, there is a Hebrew word for the word up. It's the word Aliyah is the Hebrew word, Aliyah. Um, a few years back, Chuck and I and a couple other folks from the church had the privilege of going on a trip to Egypt. And part of the trip uh, was to kind of walk through the Exodus story. And so we got to climb one of the mountains in Sinai, one of the mountains perhaps where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And um, as we were climbing this mountain all the way to the top of this mountain, it was rigorous. It was difficult. We were sweating. We were taking breaks as we got higher uh, more frequently. It was difficult. But we'd be walking and climbing up this mountain. And then at one point, our group leader, his name was George, he would yell in a really loud voice. He'd say, Aliyah! And then the rest of the group behind him would echo, Aliyah! Was that better? Yeah, first, first service? service, he really okay. messed that one up, that I thought. Um, but we, would, we were so excited, and we yell Aliyah really loud because we were going up. We were climbing a mountain. And there was, there's actually this great moment. We made it to the top of the mountain. Um, and then we, you know, spent the night up there and we began, we began descending back down the mountain and as we're walking down the mountain, we're all excited. We just climbed a mountain where the Ten Commandments may have been given to Moses. Like it's a really big deal. So we're headed down the mountain, all excited. And someone in the back of the group yells in a really loud voice, Aliyah! And then our group leader says, no, not Aliyah, because we're going down, not up. <laughs> if I could just piggyback on this whole idea of going up and, and value um, you know, when we were going up, as John said, we were climbing a mountain that could have been Sinai or definitely was something like Sinai, and we were going to spend the night there on the top. And like probably Moses did, whatever mountain he was spending the night on the top of, and um, it was just really a great experience. Well, then when we were going down, well, we were going down to get on the bus. Well, that's not a special experience. You get on the bus all the time. And so you go up the value going down the value. And so there's this parallel between the direction and the value of it. Yeah, so, so Aliyah was not that we were physically going up. Aliyah means more than that. Aliyah is a status word, up. It's a status word. It shows that something has more value than something else. Um, going up, aliyah, is a way of saying this one thing is aliyah. This one thing is really important to me. It has value to me. It's aliyah. It's up. Um, in fact, Jews today, if you were to go to a synagogue and you were to sit in one of their services, there is a prayer of Aliyah that happens in their services where somebody walks forward and then they walk up to the Torah 
and they touch the, uh, the edge of the Torah and then they say an Aliyah prayer. They go up to the Torah because the Torah has value. It's really similar to what we do here, right? On most Sundays, um, we have everyone stand for the reading of Scripture and then someone s- steps up these steps in the middle of the room. They go up to the Scripture. They Aliyah to the Scripture because the Scripture has value. The Scripture matters. And you see, this has everything to do with what's going on in Revelation in our passage. Um, that the incense, along with the prayers of God's people, um, they aliyah, they go up. You see, when we pray, our prayers have a holy status to them. Those moments when we pray to God about our lives or our hurts or our dreams or our aspirations or all the stuff that we would go to God to pray for, those moments are are moments when we come to God in prayer and those moments become aliyah moments. Those words are aliyah. They're up. They have status to them. Which means any time that you and I pray, no matter how important or unimportant that prayer is, those words have status, the Bible says. Those words matter. They're on a higher plane than our standard words. Over the last nine months, we filled um, this thing up with 2,800 prayers, right? Every single one of them is aliyah. Every single one of them is up. Every single one of them has status. They matter. Each and every prayer matters. There's an old cliche that we have in the Christian faith that Christianity isn't a religion, but it's a relationship with God. And there's a lot of truth to that statement. But I think that saying gets thrown around a lot, and we really don't think about what that means. If Christianity is a relationship with God, what does that mean? And I don't have time to unpack everything of what that means, but there's a key piece to that that I often forget about, and I'm going to assume many of you do too. You know, in order for a relationship, in order for a relationship to work, you must care about what the other person in the relationship cares about. Whether it's a marriage relationship or parents and kids or a friendship or dating, in order for the relationship to work, you must care about what the other person cares about. Um, Shannon and I, we dated for three years. Uh, before we got married, and about a year-ish into our dating relationship, uh, we were watching the Super Bowl with a group of friends. And most of you know that I'm a football junkie. I love football. I love watching it. I love following it. And Shannon likes football. She doesn't hate football, but she's not as passionate about it as I am. And so we were watching the Super Bowl with a bunch of friends, and in this particular Super Bowl, there was a safety. And safeties don't happen uh, very often. And, well, go ahead. Unless you're a Lions fan, like yeah, I am. Unless you're a then Lions. they happen a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's saying. probably true. That's probably true. Uh, and so there was a safety, and unless you're a Lions fan, safeties don't happen very often. And I overheard Shannon talking with her friends after the safety happened. And her friends asked, what's a safety? And Shannon said, a safety is when the team with the ball gets tackled in their own end zone. And then the team that tackled them gets two points and the ball kicked off to them. It was beautiful. (laughs) I was ready to to propose to her right there and then, right at that moment. 
She knew what a safety was, not because she cared, but because I cared. And in order for a relationship to work, you must care about what the other person in the relationship cares about. That's true for marriage. It's true for kids and parents. It's true for friendships. It's true for our relationship with God. In order for our relationship with God to work, one, we must care about what God cares about, which is one of the reasons why the Bible matters as much as it does, because we learn about what God cares about in the Bible, uh, and what God cares about should shape how we live. But the Bible tells us that God cares about what we care about. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Or Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Or Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, God isn't going to compromise who he is or his understanding of morality for us, but God cares about what we care about. And how much does God care? Well, the picture in Revelation 8 shows that the prayers of God's people approaching God, and it's a solemn moment. It's a sacred moment. It's a holy moment. God cares about what you care about. You know, there's uh, this image in our passage that I think really fleshes this out in, in a really awesome way. Um, if you have your Bible, take a look at verse 4. Um, verse 4 says that the smoke of the incense along with the prayers of God's people went up to the Lord. Um, the smoke of incense is somehow paired with prayer in some profound way. Um, anyone here use incense at home? Any incense fans? I assumed not many. Chuck? Uh, no, we're bath and body candle people. <laughs> That's special. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we don't use incense or bath and body. Just whatever the Walmart brand is, that's what we use. Um, incense are really not all that popular today. We don't use them very often. But in the times of the Bible, um, incense were used a lot. And they had a religious function to them. Um, incense would often be used at the temple during sacrifices. Um, what would happen is they would take the sacrifice, whatever it may be, a grain offering or something like that, and then they would take the incense and they would mix it in with the grain offering before they burnt it. They would mix those two things together, and there was a significance to that. There's something about the incense that mattered. I want you guys to actually experience this um, this morning. So I have some incense, and we're going to try to not burn the church down. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but I'm going to invite the elders forward. If one of you could grab a lighter from over there. I'm going to have some elders walk around with some burning incense, and they're not going to put off the fire system, hopefully. We'll see how it goes. And I want you to smell it. it the smell actually is it's quite a bit, so... And we'll just have you guys kind of walk around and see all that smoke. 
Hopefully the fire system's turned off. But we'll have them walk around, and as they do, hopefully you can get just a brief smell of what those incense smell like. Um, there is a sweetness to it, actually. It's a really, it's an exotic smell for a lot of us because we just don't use them very often anymore. But this was like the Chanel Number no. 5 perfume of the day, right? Like they loved this stuff and they used it and it mattered in all kinds of different circumstances. The others can just keep walking around as I talk. Um, the book of Leviticus says that when a sacrifice is made, God smells it like he smells incense. Um, literally, Leviticus says that the sacrifices of the people are a sweet aroma to the Lord. God experiences it as a sweet aroma. And as, you, well, as they walk around the room, hopefully you're getting a smell of that. But there's a sweetness to the smell. You see, when we pray, God experiences our prayers much the same as these incense. Our prayer is like a sweet incense to the Lord, a sweet incense to God. God thoroughly enjoys it when we pray to him. And if you think about it, that's actually a pretty incredible thing. Our God longs for us to interact with him and to be with him and to share our lives with him. Our God desires for us, to, he desires to listen to us to our concerns and, and our victories and our sadness and our complaining and our happiness and our lamenting. God wants to hear all of those things. See, when we decide to pause for a moment in your day and, and we say a quick prayer, those words actually affect God in a positive way. It's a sweet aroma to the Lord. This is a really big deal if you think about it. Think about this for a second. In our galaxy, which there's like a lot of galaxies, I don't know how many there are, but there's a lot, right? In our galaxy alone, there's something like two to three trillion planets in just our galaxy, trillion, two to three trillion. There are things going on in our universe right now, um, like black holes and collapsing suns and all that kind of sciencey stuff, right? Right now, that is infinitely larger than us and our planet and perhaps even our solar system. On earth, humans are only one of like 8 million different species of life on this planet. One of 8 million. In the grand scheme of things, if you think about it, um, our lives value is like a little bit more than nothing when you look at it on a universal scale, right? We don't actually have all that much value. We don't even take up that much space. And yet, in our infinite smallness, God chooses to hear each of our prayers and not just hear them. God is emotionally moved by our prayers. It's like a sweet incense to God. That's an emotive experience for God when we pray to God. You see, our prayers, no matter um, how important they may be or trite or silly or whatever it may be, God is emotionally moved by those prayers. God deeply cares. Even in our smallness in the universe, God cares to hear you and is moved by you. It's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? It's incredible. When we uh, pray, our prayers go up to God. They will get God's attention. Uh, they matter to God. And while God doesn't always act exactly as we want, God does respond 
to our prayers. Over 2,800 prayers were in the wall, and every one of them got God's attention. And that doesn't mean God fulfilled uh, every request. Uh, Some of the prayers did see God move victoriously in them, uh, but there were many times that God didn't respond like we wanted. Some of the prayers uh, felt like God was silent, and some of these prayers are still maybe a work in progress and still kind of waiting to see what God's going to do. And so while God didn't fulfill every request, but he, he still fulfilled many. You know, we asked you, uh, to email us stories of answered prayers from the wall. And we received too many of them to share uh, all of them, but we wanted to share some of the stories of how God acted in response to the prayers that were in the prayer wall. Yeah, let's, let's share. Um, one of you wrote in and said this. Said, my daughter and her husband were desperately trying to sell their 10-acre property with a two-and-a-half-acre pond, a large house, and a stable. Three years before her husband had been diagnosed with cancer, and they weren't sure how long they financially could keep up. They had tried for six years to sell it with no offers on the table. Two weeks after I put a prayer in the prayer wall, the perfect buyer purchased their home. How awesome is that? That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, One of you wrote in and said, my mom was on a transplant list for over six years waiting for a kidney, and her health was beginning to deteriorate. Uh, She had been on dialysis for a year. My daughter and I decided to put it on the prayer wall, and three days later, she had a successful transplant. I know there were numerous prayers for her over those six years, but it was neat to see the timing after putting it on the wall, especially for my 12-year-old daughter. One of you wrote in and said this, my previous job went away in February and I didn't find a replacement part-time job until June, finally going full-time in mid-July. As a result of changing careers, I was making less than half of my previous wage, which made things understandably tough. One Sunday this summer, I wrote, dear God, please help me provide for my family. Our finances have been tight and it's been a roller coaster ride, but we're still surviving financially thanks to God's ongoing provision and intermittent monetary gifts from Christian friends, anonymous and otherwise. Another one of you wrote in and said, my husband has an older son who has been distant from our family, both physically and emotionally. There are hurt and abandonment issues and different views on religious beliefs, but I prayed that God would see through to guide us in a relationship with him. This Christmas was a chance to have our birth children and my husband's eldest together. I had no idea how God would make it work. It's not perfect by the way I may have imagined, but there is a start, one that God had to orchestrate. Over Christmas, we were all together in what was a guarded but joyful reunion. Everyone was loving and enjoying the time together. It was great. Just this morning, Our boy invited us to his home for dinner. And although it sounds like a small gesture, it's phenomenal given the past history. A comfortable start to a relationship that is right with each other and right in God's ways is opening. Hearts are opening. In a moment, uh, we are going to pray and worship. We're going to have a prayer, sing a song, um, and then after the song, 
We're going to have some elders come forward and take the prayers, and they're going to take them outside uh, and burn them. And they're going to take them out those back windows over there. And obviously, uh, we want all of you to be able to see this. And so we will have the burning of the prayers on the screen for all of you to see. And when you see the smoke from the prayers go up, let that just be a visual reminder that every one of your prayers go up to God. And every one of them gets God's attention. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we know that you are here. We know that you are infinitely present with us right now. And we ask um, in these following moments that you would open our ears, soften our hearts so that we can see you and experience you and be with you in a holy moment like burning uh, 2,800 prayers. God, we know that you are a good God. We know that you're present to us. We know that those 2,800 prayers are not just prayers, but they're stories. And they're stories that you care about. And so God, be with us as we offer our stories to you um, through burning them. And God, we ask and, and we plead that this is a sweet aroma to you. And we know it is. So God, be present with us, just especially present in these couple minutes. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.